Navigating your way into the real world after school, college or university can be a daunting task. You might know what you want to do but just don't know where to start from or you may not have the facts to help you decide what you really want to do. Inasmuch as I believe that embracing the uncertainties of life is part of the process, I strongly believe that you don't have to dive in blindly or start from scratch because other people have been where you are and you can learn from them. Welcome to the School Leavers Roadmap Podcast, a podcast that brings you insights and first-hand experiences from different amazing people to hopefully equip you with actionable strategies to make informed decisions and seize opportunities as you figure out your life. Not only that, on this podcast, we debunk myths, review untold truths, and give it to you straight so you don't learn things the hard way because experience is the best teacher. I'm your host, Lyndon Sindano. Let's dive in, shall we? Hey guys, it's Linda here. Welcome to the first episode of the School Leavers Roadmap Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. So before we get into the episode, I would like to explain to you a little bit about how the format of the podcast is going to be. Basically, the School Leavers Roadmap Podcast is divided into two main segments, which are the academic segment, where we will be talking about stuff related to academics, university, college, building your career, and stuff like that. And then we also have the Beyond Academic segment where we talk about stuff not related to academics, which can be in the lines of mental health, personal development, financial literacy, and stuff like that. So in today's episode, our guest is a medical doctor and also a content creator who creates content on YouTube and Instagram about faith and medicine. And she is also the business owner at Pages by Anava which is a book and stationery store that was inspired by the love of writing, need for organization, and the passion from the word of God. They have Christian devotionals, journals, planners, and several books that aid to improve your life and organization and memory keeping. So be sure to check out the show notes and check out these books because I think they are really great. And also to check out the content which this doctor is making for us. And ladies and gentlemen, our guest is no other than Dr. Anava Kasonde Zondashi. So in this episode, she is going to take us through her journey going to study medicine in China, how her experience was in medical school, and how she transitioned from there to being a practicing doctor in Zambia. Yeah, and then in the next episode, she will take us through how she started her business and what was the inspiration behind the business and things in those lines. So be sure to stay tuned so that you can hear the whole conversation in the next episode. So yeah, let's get into it. Dr. Nava, thank you so much for being here despite having a busy schedule. I'm so glad to have you on the show. How are you doing? 
I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I was really excited to come here. Thank you. Okay, so can you give us like a brief introduction about yourself, who you are, what you do, and a brief journey about yourself from like secondary school to becoming a doctor? Okay, sure. Um, so I said before, I am an other. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the hospital, I go by the name Dr. Sondashi. I'm a medical doctor currently practicing in Zambia. Mm-hmm. I have been practicing since 2020. Okay. Um, yeah. So for a summary from secondary school, I finished my high school in 2009, okay. which is a very long time ago. Yes. And then um, after high school, it took a while for me to figure out what to do because of where I was. Mm-hmm. But my parents put me in pharmacy school first. I started pharmacy for one year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I realized my passion was still in medicine and I just wanted to do medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I transferred mm-hmm. and I started doing medicine in China. That was in 2012. Okay. I was there for about five years. And in 2017, I came back. I did my practicals in Zambia mm-hmm. and then went back for graduation in 2018. I took some time off and then I started the application process for practicing in 2019 mm-hmm. and I started practicing in 2020. So that's like a rough summary. Wow, that was like a whole journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I'm just in the third year of medical school and I feel like mm. it's kind of a journey, but thinking about years, it has been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good that now you're getting even closer and closer to being the doctor that you wanted to become, which is good. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Okay. So you said you pursued your medical degree in China. Mm -hmm. How was that like application process for you? Did you go on scholarship or were you on self-sponsorship? And how did you basically find the opportunity to go there? Okay. So um, for me, I was on self-sponsorship. I wasn't on scholarship. And how it happened Mm -hmm. is, like I mentioned, my parents, my dad specifically put me in pharmacy school. And I remember I was very sad about it because I didn't want to do pharmacy and I kept talking to my mom about it. And so she started to research and she found an agent who actually was uh, linking people to medical schools in China. I don't know if you're aware of the platform called Kukas. No. It was very popular back in the day. I think they they kind of fizzed out now. Mm But it was very popular back in the day, Kukas and Sikas. Okay. So that's the platform that I use. That's the agent that my mom found. And then um, I think from there, it was just smooth sailing. He just directed me like, I need to do this. You need to hand in these documents. You need to go and get your uh, visa. Like he was giving me instructions. So it wasn't really difficult mm-hmm. because I had someone who was helping me and guiding me along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear about someone's journey who is not on scholarship because fortunately I'm studying here in Russia on scholarship mm-hmm. and for those that study on scholarship for the most part they will be guiding you on what to do they tell you what to do and when to do it for people who are on self-sponsorship it's a whole different process mm-hmm. and it's good that you found a good agent because I've heard people here complain that they have not had some good experiences with agents mm-hmm. and some of them like they don't recommend people to go for agents so at least it's good to know that there are also good agents out there. Yeah. I think um back when I was starting, there were more good agents, but I think now it's a little bit more diluted because I have heard a lot of complaints mm-hmm. lately as well. It's better to just do things on your own or online or something. 
Yeah, now that everything is going ray trace, actually, you just apply mm. and then they send you a visa invitation and you go. Mm. Yeah, okay. So, what do you think are some of the mistakes you made if you made any mistakes during the application process? What do you think people should try to avoid? Um, the biggest mistake I would say I made was the same company that I was using that had a representative in Zambia. Uh -huh. And the same agent, the Kukas, the Chinese agent, and they had a representative in Zambia. And that man, um, the charges that he gave me for like the flight, for my visa, for the payments that had to be made on this end in Zambia uh -huh. um, were overpriced. And I think the biggest mistake I made is I didn't do my own research. Okay. I just went off what someone was telling me. Of course, it's nice and it makes life easier to have someone who's just directing you on what to do. But then that doesn't mean you shouldn't read up yourself and know something like the price of a flight or the price of your fees, or the price of the visa. You know, those are things that you can just find that information anywhere on the internet. Yeah, that's so and I true. think that's a big mistake that I made. I should have read more and researched more. Yeah, that is so true. I agree because people are scamming people a lot of times these days. Exactly. Like it's all about the money. Yeah. Yeah, so I watched this video on your YouTube channel where you talked about the criteria to use when choosing medical schools. And personally, I feel like I used kind of a wrong criteria because some of the things I knew about them when I came into medical school already. For example, like checking if your medical school is in the World Directory of Medical Schools. I didn't know about that when I was in Zambia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, because the russian scholarship the way it mm. is if you apply through the higher education loans and scholarship board if you're accepted you'll be given uh, a choice choose like six universities in russia which you pick for yourself and then mm. you send your online application to them so like the application doesn't just end there at the higher education loans and scholarship board you also have to apply here to the schools and then one of them is supposed to pick you so like now that process mm -hmm. of choosing, for me, I was just choosing like, okay, maybe I don't want to be in Moscow because I heard that it was a very expensive city. So I was scared, like, what if I'm broke? I don't want to be stranded <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was choosing other places. And of course, I was trying to find a school with like good ratings and stuff like that. But the thing about the World Directory of Medical Schools, I didn't know about it. And apparently it's like very mm -hmm. important. Mm, very yeah you know even for me uh when i made that video on my youtube about the requirements or how to choose a medical school i made it in retrospect mm -hmm. based on things that i would advise someone who is coming in the path that i am going yeah. in when i went to my medical school i actually didn't know about it as well i didn't do that research i didn't know about the world directory of medical schools um thanks be to god that my school actually was in the world directory because mm -hmm. i don't know what would have happened if it wasn't you know mm -hmm. so i think like that video that i made i really made it as a way to help the upcoming generation to make things a little bit easier for them mm -hmm. because um I wouldn't want someone to go through certain issues. Like, for example, when I was in China, I knew of people who went to a medical school, they reached third year, 
and then they realized that the medical school isn't even recognized yeah and um if they had to come back to zambia the degrees would be invalid and they had to start like applying to other schools and starting from the beginning and i saw the pain and the struggle that they went through even just to transfer to another school it's not an easy process when you're ready that's yes it's easier to apply from here than to transfer within Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's the same where you are right yes it's the same and I don't know how mm. it is for the guys who are not on scholarship, but if you're on scholarship, sometimes you feel like you're not given the opportunity to make mistakes or many choices, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're saying like, you are being helped, you cannot complain too much kind of thing. Yeah. I feel those kind of vibes sometimes. So it's like before you come, you need to make sure that everything is in place. Yeah. Because when you go there, it's just school and no one is... Is going to be paying attention a lot, trying to help you like move from here to there. Yeah. And since you're alone, it's a bit difficult. Yeah, exactly. And you have to like literally live a life of perfection. Yeah. Plus the resources, the money you spent all this time mm-hmm. just to come and find out like your school is not there. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really, it's crazy. And it was so painful because I watched these people and like trying to pick up their life and trying to move schools. And up to now, I think only two of them managed to move. All the rest just came back to Zambia with nothing. Right. And it's just, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. So um, it's good to seek advice from people who have gone before you. And for me, that is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one thing. That's why I made it my first point. That's the one thing that I would advise people, like, especially if you choose to study outside of your home country, make mm-hmm. sure you do the research and make sure that the school is valid. Yeah, that is so true because now, like, even countries, they are not necessarily in good relationships with each other. So if mm-hmm. maybe you're someone who is thinking of, practicing in another country it becomes even more important than when you want mm. to remain in your home country yeah so i'll put the link for the world directory of medical schools even the link to dr Nava's youtube channel because i have linked a lot from that channel now i feel like i know what i can expect when i go home because i had no idea i took a totally different path from what my parents and siblings did so like i don't have any guidance and having people like you on YouTube is very helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah, so can you talk about now briefly about your life in China? You went, you were accepted. How was the adaptation process for you? The culture, the environment, the language? Um, It was fair. I can't say it was bad, but I can't say it was good. Uh, for me, just a little bit of background, I was born in Zambia, but then when I was about nine, my family relocated to South Africa, mm-hmm. and then I lived there until I came to China. So I already had that experience of being a foreigner, living in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. So even going to China, it wasn't the first time like I'm leaving home. I already knew how to live in a foreign land so for me that was the good part it was easy to adapt but then again their culture is completely different like asian culture is completely different from african culture Mm -hmm. we have some similarities in values here and there but it's completely different so having to adjust to that culture and um some certain things that were uncomfortable for example there were some episodes of racism Mm -hmm. having to adjust to all that was a little bit difficult but again it was easy um, because number one, the cost of living was very, very low as mm-hmm. compared to Africa. So it was easy to actually just 
be at peace you know you wouldn't have to worry you didn't have that aspect of worrying about money yeah. and then number two there were some very friendly Chinese people who were able to help you and guide you and just help you um, adjust to their culture and their life they'll tell you like oh um, this ceremony this is what is happening oh so your school is going to close down for uh, two weeks for example the Chinese New Year everything closes down for like two weeks uh-huh. all the shops the school everything everything closes down and if you don't have someone to tell you about that you wouldn't know that you have to stock up on food because yeah. you won't have access to shops in that time you know uh-huh. so it was good because you have those nice people that are there to guide you as well yeah that's so true so um did you have to learn the Chinese language aside when you went yes I did um I did it along with my medical course. Mm -hmm. I think there are two different ways in which people do things when they go to China. I know there are those who are required to do one or two years of Chinese only. And then after that, they start their medical degree. Mm -hmm. But for me, the school that I went at, uh, we started learning Chinese along with our basic courses, medical school courses. Mm -hmm. So it was like a subject, like we'd have anatomy, physiology, um, biochemistry, and then we'd have like Chinese as well. And we're learning all the way until fifth, until fourth year, if I'm not mistaken. The final year is when we do Chinese, yeah. Okay. But were you studying in Chinese medium or English? No, I was studying in English. Okay. And how do you feel about the teachers? Like, are they able to explain very well in English? We had some very good ones and some very bad ones. There were some who were very fluent in English. Uh There were some who were not fluent, but you could see they were trying and they were good teachers. Uh So they were trying and in their trying, you would get to learn a lot. And then on the flip side, there were some who were bad communicators or they were just not good in English. Mm. So those were a little bit more frustrating. So it was just a mixture of both. And you find that you have to compensate on the ones that were not so good. You'd have to compensate and go and really study that topic or go and do your own um, studying, watch an online course or something. I'm Dr. Najib, if you're familiar with him, you teach very well. You'd watch like such videos to just get a better hang of what the teacher was trying to teach you but there were some like to this day i remember the woman who taught me nephrology like she explained it so well and she was so fluent in english so they it was a mixture of both mm-hmm. okay and did you have like zambian people where you went in the city where you are yes i did um in my class actually we were four zambians Mm-hmm. But in the city, I would estimate us to be about 15 Zambians in the city that I was in, which isn't a lot compared to like the other nationalities. But mm-hmm. I think it's still a lot compared to other places in that don't have um, a community of Zambians. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So um, what would you tell people who want to come and study medicine in China? Or maybe let's say specifically at your school like what can they expect from the education system because maybe it differs from the one we have back home right mm-hmm. like for example here in russia most of the exams we take their oral like we barely write stuff in medical school oh, really? you just have to go you pick your question like they'll make a list of questions and they'll cut them into very small pieces and then they'll put them like upside down when you go in the examination room, you have to pick blindly one of them. And then you find like three or four questions. They'll give you 10 minutes to prepare. 
you prepare yourself and then you go to the examiner and start explaining but the examiner is going to get the paper if you try to write something they'll get it they just so like so you're supposed to explain from your head and if you wrote something what you wrote is supposed to be almost the same with what you're saying like it's not supposed to be different yeah so like how is the education system back there that's that's very interesting um in china just to relate to what you've just spoken about for us our exams were very much the same as they are here in zambia mm -hmm. where you just go and write in an exam hall, all of you and then um for the education system um i think the biggest difference that i noticed is they were very focused on attendance mm -hmm. i don't think that's so much of a big deal here of course, we do attend our classes, but there, like your attendance is actually something that counts towards your final report. Like when you finish medical school and they write a recommendation letter, your attendance is something that's going to be included. Yeah. Uh, your end of the marks, your attendance is included. So they're very big up on attendance. And then another thing is Chinese people are naturally hard workers, if I could say. Uh -huh. um, many people call them robots, like they work <laughs> like robots. They are just like, they, are, they, they know what they're going to do and they just do it. Uh -huh. So you find like the education system, teachers don't force you to learn. You know, like in Zambia, you'd have your teacher who would kind of like force you or they'll shout at you or they'll try to like rehearse you into learning the topic. Yes. In China, um, I think the students are brought from a young age, brought up from a young age to just be robots, if I could say. <laughs> So they have that self-will to constantly study, to study like for 12 hours a day. They do that, you know? Oh. And if you come from our system where we're used to being pushed and you go there and you rely on that factor of being pushed, you will not do well. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. even what we think in Zambia. I don't know if it's everyone or it's just me. You feel like when you start going to university or college, you'll just be cheating, like no stress. Exactly. Yes, and when people go with that mentality, you find that they really fail and they mess up their lives. I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who've come back, yeah. um, maybe had incidences with the police, with immigration, like there are those problems that come up with people that go and study in Asia, mm -hmm. you know, and that I think comes from exactly what you said, like just going to chill in university and not having that self-discipline to push yourself. So I think one of the biggest adjustments, not really an adjustment, one of the biggest things that I notice in the education system is that you have to be very self-disciplined yeah. as compared to us here. Mm -hmm. Even here in Russia, like attendance is very important. They mm -hmm. write, for each subject they write, like you attended maybe, if the whole course is supposed to be maybe let's say 50 hours, like every mm -hmm class you have is a certain amount of hours so let's say every time you have maybe biochemistry is three hours so they'll multiply mm. that three multiplied by the number of classes you have in that semester that would be the total amount of hours you're supposed to be in class oh, wow. so every time you miss they'll be deducting those hours and they'll write on your results like okay you attended maybe mm. i don't know if it's 40 hours out of 50 mm. and also the math you got Mm. And they put marks for you during classes. Like during classes, when they're asking us questions, based on how you answer, they'll put marks for you. Mm -hmm. And so when you go there, 
if it's the first class and you show an impression like you're not a serious student, it's actually not a good thing because for the whole entire semester now, the teacher is just going to think like you're not serious. And even when you try to convince them like, okay, today I'm prepared, it's difficult to change unless you make like this huge transition like from A to D or something. Yeah, so I also think like that one is also a bit different from when you compare yeah. Zambia and Russia, because um, when I ask people from Zambia, they say it's not like that for them. Yeah, it's not. I think even for me, the time when I was doing my pharmacy, I did it in South Africa in Johannesburg at Wits University. And you know, there were some classes that you'd go, if you don't attend, it wasn't so much of a big deal. And I remember in one of my classes, Psychiatry 101, the lecturer actually advised us like, you know what? Um, you can actually listen to this lecture from home. That was before COVID and the whole big thing of lectures at home. So back then it wasn't so popular. And uh -huh. I remember like we were all like, wow, wow, wow. And she gave us the link and everything and we listen to the lecture from home. Um, she say, if you can't make it, just let me know. And then I'm going to send you, if you can't make it to class, let me know and I'm going to send you the course content for that day. So like coming from that mentality of where, you'd attend of course but it wasn't so compulsory and going there where attendance is compulsory you only don't go for class when you're sick it was a big adjustment yeah and for here the funny thing is that i don't even know if it's funny but if you are sick you say you're sick if you want the teacher to indicate that you are sick you're supposed to show i don't know how to translate this to english but you're supposed to show a certain document which shows that you went to the doctor you can't just say i was sick like it won't be enough for them or like a note from the doctor yes <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so like if you're sick and you're trying to tell them that this is the reason why you did not come for class you need to be able to show them the doctor's note because if you don't have it they just think you're lying oh, wow. and most of them <laughs> don't even want to hear your excuse if you don't have the notes yeah i think we should know these things because when you go with the wrong mentality it can mess you up big time. Yeah, very, very true. Are there some things you wish you knew about China, which you think everyone should know before going that side, apart from the difference in the academic systems, the education systems? Mm -hmm. I think the differences in culture, I wish I knew how vast they were. For example, um, things that would get to you, that used to get to me and used to get to a lot of Africans, the culture of spitting everywhere mm -hmm. i think everyone talks about it even back here when Chinese people come here the way they speak yeah. like those like small small things um the way they perceive um how can i explain it the way they perceive lightness to be better and they think being dark is wrong mm -hmm. um it's kind of like blinded racism it's not active racism where you're being oppressed mm -hmm. but it's just that ignorant racism you know yeah. i wish i knew about that i wish i knew about the culture differences i wish i knew about the food uh a lot of the diet of chinese people meat wise consists of pork it's like the number one thing that's there and in the event that you do not eat pork it's a little bit tricky but then pork and chicken are like the major things beef is very very expensive in china mm -hmm. very 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 <laughs> expensive 
I remember in my medical school five years or five years, I think I only ate beef less than five times. Wow. Because it was that expensive and that rare to find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then seafood is very affordable. Pork is very affordable. Chicken is very affordable. And all these other, other things are not so popular. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the small things I wish I knew. Yeah, for the beef thing, I can relate. Here it's there, but it's just expensive, very expensive. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe it's an Asian thing. <laughs> Maybe. It's very expensive, and the spitting thing also is very common. Yeah. So it also used to get to me, but now, I don't know, maybe I just am more tolerant to it because Russians smoke a lot, so... I don't know if it's a smoking mm-hmm. thing which causes the spitting. I don't know, but yeah. I think it is because even Chinese people smoke a lot. And that's something I had to become accustomed to. Like just the ability to smoke anyway. You know, in Africa, in South Africa, even in Zambia, in Zambia people don't smoke much actually. Uh-huh. They lean more towards alcohol. In South Africa, people would smoke, but you'd have to smoke in open spaces or designated smoking spaces. But in China, you'd find you're in a shop mm-hmm. and um, you're in a restaurant or something, and someone is smoking in there. Yeah. That's something that I also had to like get accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Now. Let's talk about the transitioning from medical school, becoming a doctor and going back home. Because here in Russia, I think I've noticed this thing where people become very scared of going back home. Like, I don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. there are no jobs in Zambia, which I'm also scared of, to be honest. So I would want to hear how your transition process was. Okay. Um, My transition process, when I was living in China, for the first time coming for uh, attachments. Uh-huh. They are called like the student internship, the final year. Uh-huh. Um, you come home for that. When I was leaving, I was a bit nervous because you know, you're a student. When you come back, they'll grill you. They'll ask you questions. You don't know if you're going to answer correctly. Uh-huh. Like there's <laughs> that fear, the normal fear of a medical student. And so I remember I came back and I rotated in the four major departments and it wasn't so bad. Um, I would still sometimes avoid the doctors that used to ask a lot because I was scared, <laughs> but it wasn't so bad. And then I went back and I graduated. After graduating, um, I took that one year off, which I went to go spend in America. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I started the process again. So my biggest fear also was the job issue because you find there are people who wait or have been waiting for one year, two years. I know someone currently who graduated in 2018 and he's still not employed. And it's really sad. Mm -hmm. That is not the norm for everyone, but then there are those exceptions. Mm -hmm. And so when I was applying, that was my fear. Like I'd have to wait for that long. And thanks be to God. I think for me, the waiting period was about four or five months, Mm -hmm. which is not long when you compare to other people. Yes. Um, And the reason for that was because of COVID, Mm -hmm. because I got employed right in the middle of the COVID pandemic in May 2020. So they needed more hands. Uh, So, yeah, I was part of that crew that was employed. And the adjustment was not so bad. I started in internal medicine, which is my strength. Mm -hmm. I'm naturally good at that. So I was able to just really 
fall into line and just get the ball rolling. Yeah. And yeah, I just stuck around with doctors that I noticed were willing to teach me, mm-hmm. willing to be patient with me, willing to just really pour into me rather than if I, for lack of a better word, I'll say the mean ones or the rude ones, yeah. I'll stay away from those. Yeah, because I think that's just everyone's fear. Like having someone undermine you because maybe you're foreign trained or uh, you didn't learn to the best of the Zambian ability. You didn't learn tropical diseases because mm-hmm. we don't have that. I'm sure you can speak about it in Russia as well. Yeah. We don't have some of the diseases that are here in Zambia. So you don't learn them in detail the way they are learned here. You know, So someone who was able to just understand that and was willing to teach me and was willing to give me resources, go read on this, 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 like it was just um, that kind of adjustment. Yeah. So like now, when I finish, for example, I'm done with my little school here in Russia, I go back home. Where do I even start from to become an intern? Like, do you go to and apply to the hospital? Is there like a system? Because I don't understand. Yes, there's a system. I actually did make a video on it. But if you arrive fresh from medical school, the first place that you're going to go to is Zaka, which is a qualifications authority. Mm-hmm. So you have to qualify your paperwork for medical school. After that, you go to HPCZ, which is the Health Professions Council of Zambia. Those are the ones, those are your representatives. Mm-hmm. Even when you start practicing, they're the ones who are going to be giving you your license to practice. You are basically in relationship with them for the rest of your medical career. Mm-hmm. So when you go to HPCZ and you submit all your documents and everything, they are the ones who are going to give you the documents that are required for you to go write a licensing exam, which is done at Levi Mwanawasa University. So when you go there, you go with the documents and live in Manawasa University, you write your licensing exam. And once you pass your licensing exam, they're going to forward you back to HPCZ to get your license. Once you have your license and all your documents, then you go and you take that to Ministry of Health. Mm-hmm. because you're applying at Ministry of Health, not at the local hospital. There are some circumstances of which I can't speak in detail mm-hmm. because I haven't done research, but there are some circumstances where doctors apply directly to hospitals, government hospitals. So your application letter is an application to Ministry of Health, actually. And then mm-hmm. Ministry of Health is the one who's going to distribute you and send you to the government uh, hospitals in the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for explaining that because I was thinking about it. I'm like, where am I going to start from if I go? It's still a long way, but it's good to know about these things. Most of the times yeah. when you search on YouTube, you just find stuff about the USA, the UK, yeah. maybe Canada. But for us, like there's nothing. Yeah, true. That is why I love the fact that you make content about these kind of things on your channel. Yeah, so... I watched, is it your most recent video on your YouTube channel? You talked about the USMLE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those who don't know, it is the United States Medical Licensing Exam, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, correct. Yeah, so I listened to a podcast where like people talk about this exam and for those who want to take it, like when is the best time to take it? Other people say like maybe it's better to take it when you're still in medical school, like when your memory is fresh and you haven't forgotten everything (laughs) which you studied. Yeah, so I was kind of wondering like how did you plan on taking yours? Like when did you take it? Did you take it when you were still in medical school? No, I took mine after medical school. So when I graduated in 2018, that one year that I took off 2019, I took it off because I was writing those exams. Um, I took them okay. after medical school. But if I'm to recommend to someone else, if it is in your capability to, especially financially, 
I'd recommend that you do it in medical school because I do agree that it's better to do it when you're fresh because uh-huh. step one is basic sciences. Uh-huh. It is your anatomy, physiology, biochemistry. It's like the deep, deep, deep basic sciences that you've done. Uh-huh. And to go through medical school, to do your clinical subjects, to start practicing, your memory isn't as fresh with the basics as it was back then. Mm-hmm. And you're putting yourself through the process of having to restudy those things. It's just better to do it at the time when you have you have just finished learning about them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would agree with people who say do it when you're still in medical school, step one. And then step two can be done in medical school or when you start your clinicals. That that one can be done at any time. But step one is better to do just when you finish your basic sciences. And you say mm-hmm. if you're taking it in Africa, you can do it in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's what you say? Yes. The closest center that we have to Zambia is in South Africa. Mm-hmm. But they have other centers, for example, in Ethiopia, in Kenya. They have other centers around um, Africa. But it's just that the closest one that we have to us was in South Africa. So when going to South Africa, do you need a visa to be able to go on, right? Yes, you do need a visa, but then because it's part of the SADC countries, the Southern African countries, uh-huh. you can get the visa upon entry. Uh-huh. So you don't need to go, you don't need an embassy or something to apply for visa before you go. You can just go and then just when you're entering, they'll give you the visa, which I think is valid for 30 days, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken. Okay, that's yeah. good. Okay, so now during your whole medical school journey, did you at any point face like imposter syndrome or anything to do with mental health? Yes, I did. Imposter syndrome, actually, I still face as a practicing doctor. Um, I don't think it's something that goes away unless you're graced with super confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that really does go away because you're always stepping into something new. Yeah. For example, for me, I'm coming to the end of my internship. Mm-hmm. I'm about to be a senior doctor now, okay. meaning that I am going to be practicing on my own permanent license. Because what I am using as an intern is a temporary license, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that I practice under a doctor. So if there's anything, I consult. Mm-hmm. Like I am not responsible for my patients. It's just other doctors who are responsible for that patient. Mm-hmm. But now I'm about to be my own doctor. I'm about to have my own responsibilities for each and every patient. I can be penalized for what I do. So there's always that thing of where you're like, am I really qualified? Have I learned enough yes. to do this? You know, mm-hmm. um, going into a specialty, starting STP. I think it's just something that's always there. Even after that, I'm sure when I start practicing as a consultant, if I become a teacher, I'm teaching academics, like you just always feel that inadequacy because you're constantly soaring higher. Mm-hmm. But the secret is just to not allow it to get to you. Yeah. There's a reason why you are, you've gotten to that level that you're at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think it's something that really, really goes away. Yeah. And then for the mental health aspect in medical school, I never really had any issues pertaining to the schoolwork Mm -hmm. I never really had any issues if I'm being honest I think the only time that my mental health got affected in the journey of my medical career was when I was unemployed 
Okay. Because I was in my late 20s, I was still living under my mom's house. I didn't have a source of income. Mm. I had my papers, but I didn't have a job. And I think that just broke me yeah. because, you know, you'd want to be a little bit more independent and responsible mm-hmm. and just have something going on in life and all my peers because I took that one year off mm-hmm. to go write my USMLE mm-hmm. all my peers had started working they were flourishing and you know you start regretting a little bit you start thinking you made the wrong decisions yeah. so I think that's when I was really affected but ever before then not so much thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open and just sharing that with us because i feel like mm-hmm. these are issues which everybody faces but not everyone is willing to share mm. and when you feel isolated in this mm. kind of dilemma it makes the feeling even worse i think very true So what what parts of medical school do you think help to shape like a good doctor in inverted commas? Is it the practical aspect or the theory? Because here we always argue in school that some people are like, no, reading too much is not good. Like you should make sure you do a lot of practice in the hospital so that when you go to work in the real world, you have the skills. Mm. But there are others who say like, no, even theory is important. Like for you to be able to make the diagnosis and stuff, you need to know the anatomy, mm-hmm. physiology and stuff like that. What do you say? I think it depends on the type of person that you are. In an ideal world, I would say it's 50-50. 50 theory mm-hmm. and 50 practical. But it depends on the type of person that you are. If you are someone like me, I am very book smart. I like to read. That's why I love in, That's why I love internal medicine. I love to read. I like to understand. I like to think. So for me, it was maybe 70% books and then 30% um, practical. I'm very good with my hands. I pick up on things very easily. Like even when I was in surgery, I realized that I'm very, very good with my hands. So because I am that type of person, I would say it's more theory than practical. But then you can get someone else who is very good with their hands and they learn by doing and maybe they don't have a good retention rate to theory as I do. And for them, they would rather have minimal theory and then go and do practical. And mm-hmm. if they are in the hospital and they're actually seeing the patient, they have a patient that comes in shock, they are more able to retain that information of what they have done and how they have handled that as compared to if they read it in a book. Yeah. So I think it really just depends on the type of person that you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for yeah. that. And then on the academics part, the last question I have for you is the advice you have for foreign trained doctors, which you already <laughs> talked about about on your youtube but can you give us like maybe two or three points and people who want to know more can go and watch okay um the first point that i will say is that fear that we usually have as foreign trained doctors coming back that fear came from somewhere Mm -hmm. you know back in the day foreign trained doctors were not easily respected or accepted Mm -hmm. as local trained doctors you know it was like foreign trained doctors are the rejects of local institutions yeah That's the way it was back then. And it has changed. There are some people who are still stuck in that mentality, sadly, but it has changed very much. The foreign trained doctors are now very widely accepted. Mm -hmm. But then that stigma came from somewhere, you know? And the biggest advice I have for foreign trained doctors coming back to Zambia is prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. 
don't allow them to belittle you and be right about it. You know, we are, we've all made it to the end of our medical career. We've all graduated with paperwork. We are all in the same running race, but prove people wrong. Prove that you are worthy of holding that degree. Mm -hmm. Prove that you are a good doctor, not just in theory, in academics, but also in the way you handle and relate to your patients. Because that's what makes a good doctor, not just knowing what the diagnosis is, but how you treat patients. Just prove people wrong. That's one of the biggest uh advice I have for foreign trade. And then secondly, I mentioned before that we usually don't have that exposure to tropical diseases as they do locally. Start reading that early. Mm -hmm. For me, I started to read about it during my clerkship, my student internship years. And then I really read more about it when I actually started working as a doctor. But it wouldn't hurt to go the extra mile. So as you're currently in medical school, uh, for you probably skim through the tropical diseases. Like for us, we just skimmed through the malarias and the TBs just to have an idea. But take that extra time, maybe for like a week or two, and like dig deep and really read about it. Get Zambian resources so that by the time you are coming here or you are uh, getting to your final year, you kind of have the same basis of knowledge in tropical diseases as the local trained. Yeah, I think those are the two points that I can put there. Yeah, I think you nailed it on that one. That is basically advice for me. <laughs> I'm taking notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the end of the first episode of the School Leavers Robot Podcast. I had a blast talking to Dr. Anava. And I learned a lot from her. I hope you did as well. If you love the podcast and you're using an iPhone, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And also check out the show notes to connect with Dr. Anava on Instagram. And also to check out her YouTube content and definitely her website at Pages by Anava. Also follow us at the School Leavers Roma podcast on Instagram and Facebook for more engaging content on there and also to stay updated on upcoming events relating to the podcast and lastly stay tuned to the podcast for the next episode which again is going to be a conversation with Dr. Anaba but in the beyond academic segment if you loved this episode that one is going to be a blast for you like trust me that one is even better also connect with me again at the school of Roma podcast on instagram and facebook if you want to make a topic suggestion and also if there are areas where you think you may improve on and you want to talk to me about that yeah lastly i want to apologize about some weird sounds in the episode this episode was recorded virtually so there are some issues beyond my control but i am working on it and i'm going to make sure that going forward the sound is even better for you guys so yeah peace